All right. Everyone, welcome to the Ask JP podcast. We tackle the issues of the day. This is a yet another episode in our ongoing uh, series on criminal justice reform. Uh, today, I'm extremely excited to have one of our candidates for DA, uh, former Judge Arthur Hunter. Uh, Judge Hunter was born and raised in New Orleans. He attended Jefferson Davis Elementary School and graduated from St. Aug High School in 1977. After high school, he earned his Bachelor of Arts in Political Science from Loyola University in New Orleans. Uh, Judge Hunter served as an officer with the New Orleans Police Department after graduating from college. He earned his law degree from Loyola University while, at night while being a police officer. In 1996, Judge Hunter was elected to the Orleans Parish Criminal District Court, where he presided as a judge until his early retirement in the beginning of 2020. As a judge, Judge Hunter presided over mental health court for two years, and he served as the presiding judge of the Orleans Reentry Program for Veterans Treatment Court. He was also a member of several professional associations and was the chair of the Orleans Parish Criminal District Court Disaster Committee, served on the Rule of Law and International Courts and Court and Technology Committees, in the judicial, decision, judicial Division of the American Bar Association until his early retirement. Also notable, Judge Hunter struck down an unconstitutional state statute that targeted undocumented immigrants for felony prosecution for minor traffic offenses. He was the first Louisiana trial court judge to order a to issue a court order to fairly and justly compensate an exonerated defendant and also ruled unconstitutional the state's notorious crime against nature statute that for years had targeted African-Americans and transgender citizens for felony prosecution. Judge Hunter, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, JP, appreciate, appreciate the opportunity. All right, let's get started. So really easy question. Why mm -hmm. do you want to be a district attorney? Well, you know, JP, you know, I just retired after 23 years this past February. And, and you know, I'm a former New Orleans police officer. And I know if we want to be a safer city, we need a, we need a district attorney uh, that will reduce recidivism, hold people accountable for their actions, and prosecute cases fairly and, 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 and ethically and professionally without the lawsuits and the drama. And so, you know, being a, a mental health court judge, a veterans treatment court judge, and and uh, reentry court judge. I know for people who commit nonviolent offenses, we connect them with the services that they need, they become better people. You know, we did that when I was a mental health court judge. We connected people, you know, with mental health professionals so they can get the treatment and services they needed. You know, Laurie White and I started the uh, reentry court in which we identified 18 to 25 year olds who didn't have their high school diploma. And uh, we sent them to Angola where they were taught how to be. Uh, uh, plumbers, electricians, uh, whatever skilled trade they selected. And they were taught by the lifers, JP, the guys who were serving life sentences there. But they also taught them the soft skills, you know, how to take care of yourself, how to be a man, uh, how to take care of your family, how to balance the checkbook, how to have the proper work attitude. And so after two years when they returned and we placed them on probation, we had a job waiting for them. They became they came back productive, they came back taxpayers, they came back taking care of themselves and their families, and, and, and some of them came back being leaders in the community as well. In the Veterans Treatment Court, I started the first Veterans Treatment Court in Louisiana, because I knew those young kids coming back from Afghanistan, Afghanistan and Iraq were suffering from PTSD. And, and so, you know, once they, uh, uh, veterans came to the uh, Tulane and Broad, they were assigned to my court. And we connected them to the VA, in which uh, they dealt with their PTSD 
employment issues, housing issues, upgrading their discharge, upgrading their benefit packages. And so we can do more than only the couple hundred people that came to my court. We can expand that to others as well. And look, you know, JP, you know, like I said, I was a police officer also, you know, but as a, you know, but as an attorney and judge, I've also held police officers accountable for, uh, for any misconduct. And so I know that we need to be safe. And so I wanna work with the NOPD and we're gonna create a special crimes unit. And this special crimes unit will consist of the intelligence the, the division to identify who's doing what, the major case narcotics to do the investigation and work with the FBI and the DEA to provide the resources and technology we need. Because look, JP, I just don't wanna have a news conference that night, everyone is standing around and you have guns, cash and dope on the table, but a week later, they're back at the same street corner selling. So that's why I want the, 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 federal, uh, the federal law enforcement involved so we can have a sustained, substantial investigation. You know, and you know, we also have to deal with our kids and coming through the juvenile justice system. So I just don't wanna deal with what that young person did, but why. And so we're gonna address issues within the home as well. And we're gonna have three objectives. Number one, we're gonna support the family. Number two, we're gonna put that child on a positive path. And number three, we're gonna make that first crime the last crime. Thanks, sorry about that. I, th I think you, that's a great, uh, a great summary. I think you also kind of tackled the second part of that question, which is what your background makes you uniquely qualified. But let me ask you another question. What is your opinion as a former judge with the current state of the criminal justice system at Tulane and Broad? Unfair, chaotic, uh, not doing the right thing and not working with others and, and, and other community organizations, elected officials to reduce and prevent crime. You know, we need a district attorney who's gonna be out there taking the lead uh, and bringing criminal justice reform and bringing real change. Now we don't need a district attorney who's gonna be out there on the court steps because he, he didn't win a particular case or, or win a particular, uh, uh, item that he wanted and blasting the judges, blasting other elected officials. Uh, you know, we need a district attorney that's that's going to make sure that has integrity. We don't need a district attorney uh, that can work with others. We need a district attorney that's going to lead the community and be involved in the community as well. Okay. Um, let me ask you your stance on a couple of issues that are very important, district attorney, which also, I mean, you dealt with when you were a judge as well, but what is your opinion of the cash bail system? And if you disagree with it, what would you do in the alternative? Well, you know, the cash bail system is, is, is because people, you know, who are charged with offenses can't afford the bond or, or can't afford the bond to be released. And look, I'm going to be concerned with two things about, the, about bail and bond. If the person is a, a danger to the community, I'm going to argue to the judge, the person should remain in jail. If the person will not return to court for court proceedings, I'm gonna to argue to the judge that the person should remain in jail. You know, but I'm not going to object to someone who receives a release on their own reconnaissance by a judge. I'm not gonna even ask for a monetary amount. My concern is gonna be, you know, that my assistant district attorneys are prepared to present the best case before the judge and the jury. That's gonna be my concern. But another thing I'm gonna to do too, JP, is that in my screening division, I'm gonna have an assistant district attorney available 24 seven, 365. And that, that assistant district attorney will meet with that NOPD officer before that arrest warrant is submitted to a judge for a signature and make sure 
the information in that warrant uh, supports the charge. And if it's not, you know, we're going to work with the NOPD uh, to make sure it happens. Now, we're not going to do an investigating, but we're going to make sure uh, that that information is there. And secondly, because I want to expand the number of people going to the specialty course if you have a behavior disorder, a drug opioid addiction, or if you're a veteran, you know, those people will go to a specialty course and the judges will release them on their own reconnaissance if they can't afford the bond so they can take advantage of the service. So that's going to, that's going to mean less people being in jail. It'll be less, it's going to also be less taxpayers' money going to the sheriff's office as well. Okay. Um, what is your position on mandatory minimums? I know as a judge, uh, many judges have said, and to a degree they're correct, that the way the law is written, should an individual meet the criteria for a triple bill or multi-bill that mm -hmm. they have to receive a mandatory minimum sentence. And obviously that's been an issue. I'm sure the judge, you were previously constrained by what DAs did with that. Cause once they meet the criteria, your triple build, your multi-build mandatory minimum applies. But as DA, you'll be in a unique position to decide mm -hmm. yeah. whether or not to, the, to, to triple bill or multi-bill someone. Correct. What is your position on mandatory minimums and how do you intend to use them, if at all? Look, you know, look, JP, when I was a judge and, and they tried to, uh, uh, the assistant district attorneys filed a multiple bill on someone, especially in a nonviolent offense. You know, I always, I always ruled or came back with, with uh, a sentence less than the mandatory minimum. Now, I was reversed 100% of the time. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. And it's not fair to, to apply uh, mandatory minimums to, uh, with people with nonviolent offenses or that charges with nonviolent offenses. Look, if you look into their record, into their jacket, you will find that it's probably a mental health issue from the, in the beginning or a drug opioid addiction in the beginning. Uh, look, I'm not going to. Uh, you know, I'm not going to use a bitch offender statute unless it's a very serious egregious case. Let me give you an example. In domestic abuse battery, strangulation, the maximum sentence is only four years. But we also know that strangulation is the number one indicator for murder. And so when, when we believe it's a violent charge and that the sentence won't be appropriate, uh, that's the only time we would consider using a bitch offender statute. Other than that, I'm not gonna use it to threaten people to take a, a plea. I'm not going to use it to force people to take a, a, a plea, and I'm going to allow people to have their their rights to uh, the rights to have their day in, in court and have a trial. Okay. Death penalty. Uh, obviously, once again, as a judge, you were you were often, especially with with with, with former Judge DA Leon Canazero. I'm sure yeah. we saw the death penalty a lot more than you normally would. Um, one of the big issues that. I've noted in talking with victims in particular, victims, not the actual right. person charged the crime. In many cases, the victim's family would go to the DA and say, we don't want I the don't death want, penalty because, because we're God-fearing Christians. We don't believe right. in it. And our DA would say, too bad, I'm going after the death penalty. Yes, As yeah. district attorney, well, well, first off, personally, because mm -hmm. everybody needs to have a personal opinion. Yeah. Personally, do you support the death penalty? As district attorney, what will you do about the death penalty? Yeah. You know, JP, I'm against the death penalty. You know, I, re I presided over three death penalty trials. I, I think the probably the most since 1997 when I first got on the bench. And I can tell you in each of those trials, it, it was emotional uh, for the victim, family, for the defendant, the defendant's family, for the jurors, the attorneys, even for me. And so it takes an emotional toll on you. And in each of those cases, the, the jury returned a verdict of a life sentence. You know, and you know, it's, 
I, I recognize the injustice within the system. I mean, I fought against this, that injustice at Tulane Broad since, since I was a judge in 1997. You know, I also realized the, the financial taxpayer costs involved in litigating and defending those death penalty cases. And, you know, and, and JP, you know, someone asked me about redemption. And, you know, if I didn't believe in redemption or saving people, I wouldn't have been a, I wouldn't have been a mental health court judge. I wouldn't have started a veterans treatment court or started a reentry court. So we've saved people, you know. And look, I'm going to use restorative justice principles as well uh, uh, on, the, on those typical, on those cases. And, and JP, look, I just uh, hope and pray that the day never comes where I may have to consider. And I can tell you, in my 23 years, in the, in the three death penalty cases I had, uh, the death penalty was not warranted by the, by the district attorney's office. In regard to police reform, uh, as a judge, as a potential district attorney, mm -hmm. what do you feel like the district attorney can contribute to the system to change the systemic racism and injustice built into the police, into the police policing of black and brown people? What do you think your DA's office will do different and what, are some specific examples of what you plan on doing to interact mm -hmm. with the police department in a better mm -hmm. way and yeah. to help the police department become less problematic in this regard? Yeah, look, you know, JP, when I was a, a judge, you mentioned this earlier, you know, right after uh, Katrina, you know, we had a, a number of undocumented immigrants who came to the city, specifically uh, Latinx and Latino, and they rebuilt the city, they helped us. I mean, they rebuilt my house. You know, but the NOPD was targeting Latino uh, undocumented immigrants, basically asking for their papers, whether or not they were citizens. Well, you know, I found that, uh, you know, I found that a statute unconstitutional and ruled no probable cause in those areas. And this recently, you know, in the French Quarter Task Force, you know, uh, two cases that came before me, uh, I found that the NOPD was racially profiling African-American males in the French Quarter. And as a result, those officers were, uh, were being investigated, the unit was disbanded, and the cases were dismissed. So personally, on a personal level, I'm not going to tolerate and accept cases based on racial profiling. Um, what we need to do, and not just in, in, with the police department, but also in the DA's office too, we need to not, not only have implicit bias training, but anti-racism training as well. And so I'm going to make sure that, uh, uh, that I work with NOPD, because I look, I'm going to tell them, look, if you bring me a tainted case, you know, we can't proceed with that case, which means whatever, what happened to that victim goes unresolved. It goes unresolved. And so we have to make sure that when the NOPD does an investigation, then the investigation is complete, is thorough, is accurate, includes the facts, and doesn't have any taint of racism or any other type of bias in it. Um, and so also, you know, JP within the district attorney's office, I think what we need to do, well, I know what we need to do is also hire, you know, more from the African-American community, the Latinx community, the Asian community, and the LGBTQ community, you know, to hire, uh, you know, qualified people for staff and as attorneys, because that's the only way we can uh, really, really reduce. I'm not going to say we're going to eliminate it, because we live in a society in which racism is present. But we can definitely do within the criminal justice system to make sure that we treat everybody the same and we prosecute cases fairly regardless of who you are. Do you consider yourself a reform candidate? And let me be a little more specific. Everyone considers themselves a reform candidate 
this cycle. <laughs> I think it's kind of yeah. like the thing. But could you give me an idea of what you think a reform candidate is and why you think you are a reform candidate? Look, JP, I, I, you know, what I've been doing as a judge since 1997, uh, I've made controversial decisions. You know about one or two of them. And I made those regardless of the political consequences. You know, I started, I was a mental health court judge in 2008 after Ka Judge Calvin Johnson started the first one. He retired and he asked me to take it over. That's criminal justice reform in 2008. You know, when I started the, uh, Laurie White and I started the reentry court program and I started the veterans treatment court program in 2010. That was criminal justice reform, you know, striking down, you know, uh, statutes that I believe are unconstitutional, criminal justice reform. And so I've been doing the work. You know, I haven't started this uh, within the last year or, or, or saying what I, I want to do when I had the opportunity to do something. So I've been doing the work. And, and now, you know, everybody is, you know, basically copying my platform of what I've been doing since I've been on the bench. And so I consider myself, you know, criminal justice reform, doing the right thing, JP, doing the right thing and being fair. A little lighter question. What's it like campaigning during COVID? I know that you, yeah. you've campaigned before. I've campaigned before. Mm. Campaigning is done a very certain, almost like a mathematical kind of routine yeah. way. And this has really changed the game. What's your experience been like campaigning with COVID? It's yes, you know, we, you know, we, is, it, you know, is, is the, the virus is still out there. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So you have to have protocol. You have to wear your mask. You have to wash your hands. You have to stay your distance. And you know, and people knew all this like to see you. They want to hear what you have to say. They want to look you straight in the eye, you know, determine whether or not you're telling them the truth or you're just giving them, you know, you're just bull, giving them bull. And you know, we've been, you know, you know, I've been out there campaigning, uh, you know, again, following the safety protocols. It is different. What you and I are doing now is a result of this as well with the Zoom, uh, but you know, people, you know, they really want to see you and they really want to be out there and, and, and see what you're doing and, and what you're talking about and, you know, whether or not you care about it. And, and so uh, it is different. Um, and uh, I hope we don't have to, I hope, you know, we don't have to do it again, but uh, you know, that's, 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 you know, we'll see what happens on November 3rd. Well, and I mean, I, I will certainly tell you, I think, Part of the reason why I'm having these these interviews, these kind of informal podcasts, interviews mm -hmm. with 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 uh, different candidates, is because when you look at what's happened with the Black Lives Matter movement, what's happened mm -hmm. with all these various instances in which people have said, finally, criminal reform is the order of the day. We have to do it. Right. And you look at, and it could be the nature of COVID, it could be the nature of our crazy president. No one's covering. <laughs> no one's covering the DA's races or the judge races. I mean. The, the papers yeah. are doing their standard. Let me do a little one paragraph bio on Arthur Hunter or Jason Williams right. or whoever. Here's where they, here's their mama and them. Here's where they go to church. And that's right. it. Yeah. And people don't realize we vote on DA once every six years. Yes. So if you're not paying attention now and you miss this opportunity and you don't like who gets elected, you got to wait six years for another shot. So that's correct. I kind of stepped into this on this this non-traditional format to try and give people the opportunity to put their platforms out there because yeah. people need to know who they're voting for. But yeah. And I appreciate that. You know, JP, look, someone asked me, look, I've never been involved in the criminal justice system. You know, I, I'm not going to do anything wrong. And I said, well, you know, that's true, but you know, you have an 18 year old kid son and he goes to the lake and he's with his other friends. And 
someone decides they want to smoke a joint, smoke a marijuana cigarette. The police show up and they arrest them, you know, for smoking marijuana. Well, you know, I'm not going to prosecute possession of marijuana cases, JP, because, um, you know, half the states is legal, rather recreational by medical. Here in Louisiana, is is legal medically, you know, and, you know, I'd rather use those limited resources that we have in DA's office for more serious crimes. And, you know, why give a young person a criminal record just for smoking weed? And, and so that, it, it may not affect you, but it will uh, definitely affect someone uh, directly related to you or indirectly related to you. So you need to, you know, be sure and be confident in who you want to be your next district attorney. All right, uh, keeping it clean. Why are you more qualified than your opponents? You know, JP, I protected the community as a police officer. I mean, I was assigned to the Urban Squad, which patrolled the housing developments, and and then to the Fifth District, which is the Seven and Eight and Night Watch. And the Fifth District was the the hottest, as we call, it, the hottest district in the city. So I was out there on the street protecting protecting all of us. You know, and also as an attorney and as a judge, I've also held police officers accountable for misconduct. And, you know, I created, and Laurie White and I created a nationally recognized program by the American Bar Association for preventing and reducing crime. Look, the recidivism rate for the reentry court program after three years is 9%, compared to 35% after three years for those who don't go through the reentry program. So we've done, you know, we've done the work, and I've done the work to prevent and reduce crime. And look, I have a detailed platform stating what, what I, I believe would make us a safer city based on my courtroom experience and my time as a police officer. And look, I was a fair judge. You know, I wasn't afraid to do the right thing. And I know together we can uh, make our city safer and, and bring real change uh, to the criminal justice system. Is there anything else you want to add uh, for people to consider as they're going forward making that vote starting early voting next week? Yeah. Yeah, please, you know, if you're going to early vote, early voting is October 16th through the 27th. I'm asking for your support. I'm asking for your votes. You know, my ballot number is 101, the easiest one to remember. And, uh, you know, I ask that you, uh, that you hit that, uh, hit that push, push that button uh, for Arthur Hunter for district attorney. And if you want more information about, you know, me and my campaign, it's hunterfordea.com. All right. Well, thank you, Judge, for your time today. I really appreciate you, you working with me in this whole new weird format. Yeah, and no I look problem. forward to seeing you on the campaign trail virtually six to 12 feet away. You got it. Look, JP, tell everyone I said hello. I will. Thank you.